Welcome to the Mayo Clinic Moms Podcast. We're having candid conversations and answering difficult questions about pregnancy, raising kids, and everything mom-related. I'm Dr. Angela Mackey, and I'm a mom of two and a pediatrician at Mayo Clinic Children's Center in Rochester, Minnesota. And my co-host is Dr. Napuni Rajapaksi, who's a pediatric infectious disease doctor, also at Mayo Clinic, and is also pregnant. On today's episode, we're going to talk about what you need for baby and what you don't. I feel like from the moment that I saw those two lines on the pregnancy test, I have been absolutely bombarded by ads telling me that I can't live without certain things. So Angie, you've done this a couple times before. I want to hear from you. What do I actually need and what can I do without? Oh, that's such a good question. Yeah, because sometimes you will end up with a bunch of things that you never use. And it doesn't matter who you ask, everyone's going to tell you something different. And there's not like a lot of, there's not research on this. Since we're doctors, we always want to know like, what's the research that I actually need? This is all opinion. So, so my, my expert opinion, that's what we call in medicine, a little bit expert opinion, a level of evidence we could not live without these three things. So, and the first one's going to be controversial, but it was a pacifier. Okay. Okay. So my first child from the moment he came out wanted to suck and he still sucks everything and he is old now. Mm-hmm. Everything goes in his mouth and he wanted to breastfeed 24-7 and that just no does not work. And so a pacifier was needed. And, and actually the American Academy of Pediatrics recommends that if you haven't already introduced a pacifier by two weeks of age, mm-hmm. to introduce it because it does, there is an associated decrease risk of sudden infant death syndrome, okay? okay? So um, establish breastfeeding first or your feeding plan and then introduce a pacifier later. Or in my case, being pragmatic, I introduced it early on because that was the only way I was going to survive. And you need a lot of pacifiers, okay? okay? Do you have any pets in the home? We do not. Oh my gosh, my cat was a pacifier thief. Oh, goodness. He could get get cupboards open or anything looking for these pacifiers. I don't know what the deal was. It was like a cat magnet. I had to have a special like uh, Tupperware container that was like cat proof. Yeah, I'm not, I'm, this is, you can't make, you can't make this up (laughs) that, that my cat couldn't get into because the pacifiers are everywhere. And in the middle of the night, when you need a pacifier, there's going to be like 85 of them behind the crib (laughs) that you can't get to. And when you move the crib, you're like, that's where all the pacifiers went. And you need, you need a couple different varieties. Sometimes people will say, because you don't know which one your baby's going to like. So I always like just the straight kind of circle oval ones that's very similar to a nipple. Okay. So if you're breastfeeding, it's going to be a little bit different than the ones that kind of mold to their mouth and stuff like that. So some people swear by one or the other, you'll kind of see what your baby likes. Um, At our hospital, they'll give you like the little circle ones if they do give them to you. But I had to, I had, I had to sneak some of them from the hospital. So, all right. The second thing is a sleep sack. Okay. Okay. So we want babies to not be having like excessive bedding or excessive Mm -hmm. clothes, things that can be a suffocation risk for their safe sleep. But a sleep sack usually has some type of zipper and then it's a straight jacket on top. Yes. It's got to be a straight jacket, but only on top. Okay. The key is you do not swaddle their hips or anything below their chest. Okay. Um, The reason is that that increases the risk of development of developmental dysplasia of the hips. Babies like to have their hips flexed. They'll pulled up and kind of rotate it out. And that's a good healthy position for the development of the, the head of the of the leg, the femur, mm-hmm. in the acetabulums. We want them to develop a really nice, healthy hip in that area. So you swaddle them here and you swaddle them with their arms down. Yeah. Always with the arms down. Like they are going to, every parent tells me, but they don't like it that way. And I'm like, well, if you want your baby to sleep, honestly, again, mom hat, not doctor hat. 
because babies have this natural startle reflex and that does not right. go away for many, many months. It's, it's something that's, that was developmentally and evolutionarily very helpful. But as soon as they hear anything or even in their sleep, as they go through different stages of sleep, they will startle themselves awake and they'll cry. So anytime they're going to go through a different stage of sleep, they have an arousal period and they're going to startle themselves awake. So if you want to sleep, you swaddle their legs down like a straight jacket, or, or excuse me, their arms down only, not their legs, and you always put them to sleep on their back. So buy some sleep sacks with straight jacket style. Sounds good. Okay. <laughs> those to our list. Okay. Um, we, those were a lifesaver. You can't swaddle with their arms down, or you shouldn't be swaddling tight after about two months of age because of the risk of them rolling to their side or being in the prone position where they're going face down. Right. That is going to increase their risk of of them like potentially suffocating. Okay. So around two months of age, you need to start kind of weeding them off. Okay. The other key thing, and this is weird. People listening are probably going to wonder what I'm talking about, but for anybody out there who's had a colicky baby, this is clutch is having a, we had an exercise ball. Oh, no way. Yeah. So babies like that up and down bouncy movement. So think about when you're walking up and down, the baby's going up and down. They're used to that. They're not necessarily used to the back and forth. They like the bouncing up and down. And there's even some, you know, fancy machines that you can buy that go up and down instead of doing like the side to side sort of thing. We just used our our exercise ball from, from our little workout area. And we bounced on it so much, no matter like for nine months straight, I felt like I bounced on that thing. Um, but also it's very good for pelvic floor yeah, rehab. Yes. So, awesome yes. Really yes it's very good for your pelvic floor rehab. So, um, so bonus there, um, especially after vaginal delivery. So those are the three things that were like, I couldn't live without because I had a colicky baby, but like anything you could bounce in. So sometimes a carrier, anything that's going to allow you to be hands-free, yeah. um, but in a safe position. Um, some of the, the carriers, there's concerns for potential asphyxiation or not being able to breathe well. So just making sure that your baby's airway is open is going to be important in that sure. situation. Especially in those first few months where they yes, don't, they don't really have, have good great head control. Head control yeah, as they get older, themselves. it becomes less of a concern. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. so that's great. We'll definitely add all of those to our, our list of things. I can things. just loan you my exercise ball. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. You can borrow some of those from you. Other stuff, I guess, kind of basic things. Obviously, we need a, a safe place for the baby to mm-hmm. sleep. What can you tell me about kind of safe sleep for? Um, it can be anything that's flat without any extra fluffy stuff. You know, bumpers, we don't need them. They don't need big fluffy blankets that everyone makes for you that are beautiful and very kind, but they are not safe. In Finland, have you heard about what they do there? No, I haven't. So every baby in Finland for over 75 years or more they, when they are pregnant, they get a cardboard box oh. and they encourage the babies to sleep in cardboard boxes. And they have very, very low rates of sudden infant death syndrome. And it comes loaded with a bunch of other things now and stuff. It's their welcome to welcome to Finland as a, as a baby package, Indeed. but it can be a flat cardboard box as long as it's something that's safe and separate from where you are sleeping. Okay. So we recommend co-rooming. So sleeping in the same room for at least the first six months, if not first year of life, which we'll get into later, Mm -hmm. but not co-bedding. Okay. Sleeping in the same bed because of risk of falling asleep, rolling over, asphyxiating your baby, kind of all of those things. So pick some kind of safe place, right? It can be a bassinet. It could be some type of portable play yard, like a a pack and play. It could be a crib, something hard for mattress, and, and you're good. Yeah, sounds good. Mm-hmm. What about car seats? Those are, mm-hmm. we've started to kind of look at some of yeah, the, the sites yeah, and there's so right. many different yes. things to look at and choose from. What are the key things I need to yeah, think about? Yeah. So most parents in the beginning use the infant carrier where you can pick them up and kind of carry them around. And those are all going to be rear facing. 
the key thing is that you don't buy a used car seat. You don't want to use a car seat that's in a crash because you don't know about the safety of it. You also want to make sure that it's not expired um, when you get it because it's not just like an interesting gimmick to sell more car seats because you're not really buying them that often. It's that the quality of the materials can break down over time. And so there's usually an expiration date. The big thing about car seats is learn how to install them mm. correctly and learn how to put your infant in them correctly. Uh-huh. So some really scary statistics, and I'm sure that I have been included in this, is only 94% of infants are properly installed in their car seat. So whether the car seat is installed or the belt, the snaps, everything is appropriate. Or excuse me, 94% are not. Not. Oh, wow. So 6% of parents are doing it correctly. So pretty much all of us are in that boat. Um, And then if you look at the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration Board, the United States says about 50% or so of car seats are not installed correctly. So the other one was looking at the infant carriers, whether the infants are in them correctly or not. So either way, the statistics are not good. Yeah. So so there's car seat classes. Yeah. There are um, clinics, car seat checkup clinics you can go to that are usually free. Yeah. I saw, actually, they sent us in some of our... Uh, second trimester pregnancy information, yes. there was a listing yes. of the car seat clinics yeah. and the one in our area is like just literally down the street at one of the fire stations. And so it's great. I, I did that. You you can search it online and find out where you can find this in your local yeah. neighborhood, often at like fire stations or hospitals or things like that. But they're really, really helpful. Yeah. Um, be prepared. You're going to have to like completely uninstall it and install it in front of them. Oh, really? yeah. 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 It said it took a little bit of time. It so does. I was wondering what. Yeah. <laughs> and you got to bring the kids with. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. I, but I definitely do recommend that. Yeah. Um, it was eye opening. Yeah. It seems to me, I mean, just thinking about it, I'm like, oh, how hard could it be? but clearly many people are managing to to do it wrong. So interesting story. I remember when we were installing our first infant car seat with our Mm -hmm. child, my husband, my husband and I are both doctors. So, you know, we've had a good amount of education, but that does not mean you can install car seats correctly in any way, shape or form. I remember getting in a pretty good fight about it because neither of us looked at the instruction manual. (laughs) When we did it, we thought it would just be simple. And then we eventually pulled the instruction manual watched a video, and then installed it correctly. So, yeah. yes. I feel like this should be maybe taught to us in medical school or yeah. something. It seems like <laughs> well, a as critical that, skill. Uh, parents yeah. do expect that we know all yeah. this stuff. But, so I do know it now because that's what I do. I'm a primary care doctor. Right. But it was not intuitive. It, you're not born knowing this stuff. Yes, so. <laughs> What about baby monitors? So, mm-hmm. again, I've been seeing a lot, some with sound, some with video, mm-hmm. things that you can attach to the baby right. to monitor their heart rate and their oxygen yeah. saturations. Do I need all of these things? Will they make my baby safer? What are your thoughts on Yeah, good question. So um, we do recommend that you're going to be co-grooming with the infant. So you might not need it while they're sleeping at night, but you might need it for nap time. It's pretty helpful to know when the infant's asleep or when they're not, or especially when you get a little bit older and you're trying to maybe do some sleep training when you really need to go in versus when it's just kind of like a not as emergent a situation. For us, when we did sleep training, it was the level of threshold eventually was, did they vomit because they were so excited or not? Um, And so with we, I loved my video monitors. Yeah, I, 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 I loved it. I never did any of those cardiorespiratory monitors that monitor oxygen saturation and heart rate. In general, the American Academy of Pediatrics recommends against those, even though there's claims that they do prevent sudden infant death syndrome. When you look at it in actual studies, it really hasn't borne out. There's, there's also something called alarm fatigue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if something's constantly going off, you start to ignore it. I mean, we see this all the time in ICU settings and stuff like that, where right. all we constantly we hear our, our beeping and alarms going off because you assume it's not something you know real. So I don't. I, I wouldn't say that you need to have those. Every family can pick what they what they want. Sometimes just ha- 
having that extra level of, of comfort may help them, but I'm not sure that the evidence actually bears out that it's will completely say, prevent your child from sudden infant death syndrome. Cool. So yeah, and I can imagine every time the thing goes off, I think I'm going to be feeling right. kind of yeah, anxious yeah. as well. You're, and most it, of the time, it ends up just being it's not picking up. It's properly not picking up or right. Like, like as that. we know in the hospital, like yeah. majority of the time it's not picking up right. And yeah. in fact, with, you know, bronchiolitis, RSV infections, the recommendation is not to have continuous right. pulse oximetry because everyone looks at the number and not the child yeah. and, and then not actually see, it led to a lot of overtreatment sure. in the hospital setting. So imagine the kind of increased anxiety it's going to give to a parent. For so sure. yeah. Well, that makes sense. So we're due in the winter, and so I think it's going to be a little bit challenging to be outside in Minnesota in yeah. December and January, yeah. but looking at things like strollers, if yeah. we want to go out for a walk or something like that, any advice or tips you have on picking one? I think strollers are great. Getting one that you can attach your your infant carrier to is going to be helpful because in the beginning, especially like if it's winter and you don't want to take the baby out of that, some families will just do it. You start with a convertible car seat that's installed and you don't take and carry that into places, but one that you can put an adapter onto is very helpful. We used a jogging stroller because we, we like to run, we like to exercise, and so it could dual purposes. Those are, tend to be a little bit heavier duty they're heavier. So that's a downside. They're a little bit harder to transport than some of the lighter ones you can just fold up and take with you. But I do think most families find strollers are helpful. You know, if you like to travel and other things, it's pretty, it's pretty helpful because you can't just carry the infant all the time. So yeah. Build up some pretty big arm muscles Mm -hmm. doing that though. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Are you thinking about getting pregnant or maybe you're a current mom-to-be or you're like myself and you're in the midst of raising kids and you're looking for practical evidence-based advice from Mayo Clinic experts Mayo Clinic Press has got you covered. We have a series of four books starting from Fertility and Conception to Guide to a Healthy Pregnancy, Guide to Your Baby's First Years, and the last book in this series, the one I was the medical editor of, Guide to Raising a Healthy Child. You can find these amazing books from Mayo Clinic Press wherever books are sold or on the Mayo Clinic Press website. What about babies obviously come, you need a lot of accessories to <laughs> take them out anywhere, it sounds like, at least from, yes. from what I've seen. Uh-huh. The whole house. Um, you how do you, pack the whole house yeah, you? yeah, exactly. <laughs> what, what do you pack the house into? <laughs> what kinds of diaper bags? What oh, this features is, this did you is find so interesting. Helpful? Yeah. Um, I'm not like a purse lady per se. Mm-hmm. But there's, you know, there's a lot of really cute, like, ones out there. I think this is totally personal preference. But you do need something to put some stuff in. But sometimes with subsequent children, you'll see people don't even carry them (laughs) because they're just, like, grabbing the kids and going. They don't even have room for it. We we had, like, an over-the-shoulder one, and I ended up switching to a backpack one because, Mm -hmm. especially as we had more kids, I I don't have the opportunity for it to slip off of my shoulder. I can just put it on and go. So I really, yeah, I really love the backpack option. I think it was great Um, having one that had like a little built-in cooler was pretty fantastic for for breast milk definitely not necessary you can have you know a little cooler that you slip into it but the clutch thing is what do you need to put in that diaper bag so having some type of plastic bag is really key because you're going to have blowouts you're going to have poop and pee and vomit and all the above and (laughs) and if you travel and if you're flying you need a lot of them because sometimes there's a lot of things that happen on that flight yeah from personal experience, <laughs> too many times to count. Um, but so I would always take a Ziploc baggie and pack their clothes in it real tight, shrink it down. And I had lots of Ziploc baggies, so I'd have a clean change of clothes and I'd put the dirty ones in that. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. That was another mom sent that tip on to me, one of my patients, and I and I used it ever since. You know, the, you, need the, you need the wipes in there, you need your diapers. 
change of clothes, change of clothes, change of clothes. I don't know how many times to tell you that because it's going to happen. Probably having some diaper cream in there. Okay. Some snacks for you mm-hmm. is going to is going to be key. Maybe a couple toys. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, pretty soon it becomes your purse too. So yeah, just you know. everything else <laughs> yes. ends up in there as mm-hmm. well. There's a lot of accessories that I've seen that are out there to help with sleep. Yeah. Sound machines have been one mm-hmm. that I seem to be getting a lot of advertising for mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are your thoughts on those? Oh, Do yeah. you use one? Do you think they're out? Yep. Game changer. Yeah? Yep. Okay. Yep. Um, but I, you don't need any, like, quiet, sweet little lullaby. You need, like, a 747. Oh, okay. Like, you need something loud. Fa- I mean, it can be a fan. You don't need to go buy one of these. Just put a fan. Yeah. Um, but I know in some cultures, actually, having a fan while you're sleeping, that is something that is concerning. So whatever you're most comfortable with. But, yeah, we have sound machines. Yeah. I still travel with sound machines. I don't know what it is about medicine. I had to start sleeping with a sound machine in residency. I think you're always waiting for that pager to go off. But yeah, my kids' uh, sound machines are huge because then they're not going to be waking up at every little startle. Remember that startle reflex we talked about previously in our other episodes? So you want them to kind of be in that nice, yeah. They're used to kind of the loud sounds inside your body, you know, your heartbeat and those kind of things. So comforting for Mm -hmm. them and will be nice to not have to tiptoe around. (laughs) <laughs> Whenever they're sleeping yeah. as well, hopefully we'll cover up a bit exactly. of ambient noise also. Mm-hmm. That was all super helpful. I think a lot of things for us to add to, to our list, and I'm sure I'll be hitting mm-hmm. you up for some some more tips and advice on that as well. Our current place right now is relatively small. We don't really have a, a great space for a nursery because our spare bedroom is actually on a different level than mm-hmm. our bedroom. Do I need a nursery or what are your thoughts? Oh, so interesting. And you know, in different parts of the world too, some families always sleep in the same room, mm-hmm. right? But going back to the American Academy of Pediatrics recommendations for safe sleep to reduce the risk of sudden infant death syndrome is to co-room for a year. A year. Let's just let that sink in. Yeah. You're sleeping in the same room time. as your infant for a year yeah. because it has been shown to decrease the risk of SIDS by almost 50% wow. um, by the co-rooming. And the, the the greatest risk for sudden infant death syndrome is really in those first four months, but can occur later as well. So this recommendation was was not a hard recommendation when my kids were born, and but I, I had read the data <laughs> because it was a soft recommendation in their policy. Um, and so I read all the studies and I could not sleep with my kids in my room. Every little sound I was attuned to, I never slept. Um, Sleep deprivation is a form of torture, um, and I was not sleeping. And if you don't sleep, you know, your mood and everything is going to be worse. So eventually my kids did get moved earlier than than four months, and so that's maybe where that nursery comes in. So long story to summarize your question of you're probably eventually, especially in the United States traditionally, kids will eventually sleep in their own room, which is a good thing. So when those those recommendations came out as a hard recommendation, there was some studies that looked at how does this affect everyone's sleep? So what they found and not surprising is everyone sleeps worse. Yeah. So this was a 2017 study from pediatrics and babies don't sleep as well. Parents don't sleep as well. So that there was a trade-off of that. So co-rooming together, parents are going to be more likely to wake up if something is going wrong, but they're also, there's the risk of poor sleep and what that does for your mental and physical health as well. So people kind of will need to balance that. Another benefit of room sharing in the first couple months is it promotes breastfeeding. It's a lot easier to breastfeed while your your baby is in the room with you and and whatnot. But generally, the recommendations are to co-room, but you're going to probably want to move that baby later. So you might want to be thinking about nursery, but you might not need it right away in the beginning is basically the, the short answer. Great. Sounds good. 
Yeah, it's really interesting, actually. I've been reading a bit about different cultures and mm-hmm. parenting and some of yes. the different philosophies around things like uh, infant sleep and yes. where they sleep and how they sleep. And so it's really interesting to it see is. that there's a lot of different approaches to it and recommendations in different countries. Yes, very can be quite variable as mm. well. Very much so. Um, all right. One more relates to diapers. So this was, I guess, I thought would be relatively mm-hmm. simple <laughs> decision to make, yeah. but it seems like for all of these things now, there's multiple options to choose from. So mm-hmm. there's cloth diapers, there's disposable diapers, and now there's even an in-between kind of hybrid of cloth and disposable yeah, that right. you can get as well. What are some of the benefits, downsides of the different options oh, here? Yeah, so this is a hot topic. I'm going to get killed for this one. So um, I went I went with disposable. Um, I did research before because I, I really want to make sure I'm looking at my carbon footprint. Mm-hmm. But they both have a similar effect on your carbon footprint from the research that I saw, but for different reasons. Yeah, I was surprised by this as yeah. well because I thought for sure right. cloth was going to be the environmentally friendly yes. way to go. But Yeah, but but when then when you start to think about it, there's um, a higher amount of like toxic waste that can have an impact on human health. So electricity, water use, detergents, softeners used to wash them. Mm-hmm. So that adds up. But then you have the carbon footprint with disposables and um, the impact on ozone depletion mm-hmm. to think about with all the disposable diapers. I ended up going with disposables. My sister went with the cloth diapers. I think to each their own. Everyone choose what, you know, works for them. Cloth diapers eventually may be less expensive. That's another benefit. It's a higher cost up front, but maybe lower cost later, especially if you're using them for multiple children. So something else to think about. The new cloth diapers are incredibly absorbable. I think old cloth diapers, the ones that we were probably raised with, there's a lot more diaper rashes. They were not very absorbable. The disposable diapers are incredibly absorbent. So they're, you know, pretty good with diaper rashes and things like that. I find that most people that use cloth diapers will have some disposables available too, you know, for certain situations or travel or when the kid's sick and you're, they have diarrhea. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. So something to think about. Okay. Sounds good. But there's not, are you aware of anything to suggest that there's a major kind of health implication between? I'm not aware of that. No, I haven't seen anything. I think it's more personal preference that people decide. Yeah. Sounds good. Mm Hopefully, obviously, we all hope baby won't get get sick with anything, but are there certain medications that you recommend kind of keeping at home on hand just in case we need to? You know, all infants are going to need to be on vitamin D, whether they're formula fed or uh, breast milk or breastfed usually because they need to have 32 ounces of formula per day to get enough vitamin D in their diet. So they need 400 IU or international units per day of vitamin D supplementation. Breast milk does not have very much in it, so they're always going to need to be supplemented. If they're up to 32 ounces a day of formula, you can stop the vitamin D. So I would just pick that up now and have on hand. You don't need to start at the first day, but you need to get started, you know, within the first couple weeks or so after feeding is well established and going well. So pick that up. You know, I would have some acetaminophen, some infant acetaminophen available, also known as Tylenol and other kind of brand names. There are things like grape water or mm. gas drops, yeah. um, which is known as semethicone. I never bought that stuff because when, when you look at it in studies, it's not been shown to be better than placebo when parents are blinded to whether they're giving it, but some parents absolutely swear by it. Yeah. I think the risk is very low. They're safe to, to give your infants. So if you feel that your infant's you know, very fussy or colicky or having lots of gas, you certainly could try those things to see if they're helpful. 
Newsflash, all infants are fussy, <laughs> okay? Um, and I think that's one thing parents aren't expected for. They're, they're gonna have little tummy aches and, th- and that's normal. And they don't have a lot of gut micro, microbiome. Like yeah. you probably know more about this than I do, but you know, they're gonna be establishing that over the first couple months and stuff. So digestion is a little bit different. And, but just expect that your baby's gonna have a little bit, of dis- little bit of discomfort. If they have a lot, certainly go ahead and try it. But, you know, a little bit is, is resilience building, right? Yes. <laughs> um, there's some other things, you know, like diaper creams to have on hand. I recommend usually anything with 40% zinc oxide content. There's okay. lots of different brands, but that's going to be a lot more water impermeable than something else to really create a barrier on right. the skin. And most parents do not put that on thick enough. I usually say put it on like it's frosting. Okay. Okay. Or I'll say like a quarter inch thick because yeah. half of that is going to be going on the, into that super absorbable diaper, right. whether it's cloth or, or it's uh, disposable. And then maybe like probiotics is like a kind of a hot button mm-hmm. question. I bet you could answer this even better than I can. But, you know, some studies in other countries have shown it decreases the risk of, of colic. Other studies have not shown it does. There's more studies that have looked at it in premature infants. Any, anything you know about yeah, that? Yeah. No, I think there's, it's been kind of on both sides yeah. for them. I think generally for healthy babies, mm-hmm. there's not really a downside right. to it um, as to whether there's significant benefit to it. I think we still still don't know, mm-hmm. but... Um, yeah, definitely something to, to think about. Yeah. I love the analogy. I think some infectious disease doctor said to me once, give, taking probiotics is like, you know, putting one type of tree in a rainforest. Yes, exactly. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, there's so many um, gut um, mic- microbes, but usually probiotics have like one or two. Or exactly. Or it's hard to replicate yeah. just yeah. a good, healthy yeah. variety of bacteria in the yeah. digestive system. This is one of the things that we have to, to try to do mm-hmm. that, but it doesn't really come close to kind of the normal microbiome that they build up over the first few months, especially. Mm-hmm. You know, one other thing I would I would add to buy is um, to have a rectal thermometer and a thermometer available. Oh. So we tell families that a fever in the first two months of life is going to be, right. you know, in, in an emergency. We want you to be going to straight to the emergency department because sometimes fevers in those first two months of life or babies' immune systems aren't really, you know, fully, fully up to speed, they're not immunized yet, can suggest a serious bacterial infection that could be life-threatening. So then you have one to check. You're not ready not to get it when you're stressed and your baby's sick. So. Right. That's great. Thank yeah. you so much for all of those great tips, Angie. I think it'll help me to kind of wade through all the different things that are, are being advertised and, and thrown my way. And it's great to hear kind of some of the practical things that you actually ended up using as well. You're welcome. And, you know, we'll get into like breastfeeding later, like some of the things to, to have on hand and buy and stuff, because there's a lot marketed towards women in that area as well. Yes, yeah, sure. yeah, absolutely. And I know I didn't hit everything, but uh, those are some good places to start. Some of the highlights. Mm-hmm. Thanks everyone for joining today. Make sure you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes by subscribing and following along on either Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you enjoyed this episode and you want other moms out there to hear this valuable information, make sure that you leave a review wherever you listen. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.